I did not plan <laughs> this text for this day. The Lord did. Um, the Lord has a way of doing that. And I don't really feel like I'm, I'm really up to being able to, to do this, but the Lord can strengthen me and help me. So we're just going to lean on Him today. We're going to seek Him. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we pray that You would just come and give power to Your Word. Give power to a Word, Lord, that maybe we don't even want to hear. Maybe we have a hard time obeying this Word, but we pray for grace. We pray, Lord, that You would change our hearts and make us the kind of Christians that You want us to be. We pray, Lord, that You'd make us obedient, humble, submissive, Christians that bow before your word, we tremble at your word to do what it tells us because we know it's the word of the living God. So come now, Holy Spirit, and teach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes do, Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Yeah. Um, over the last four weeks, you guys know this as well as I do, there has been such a massive resistance to governmental authority in our land. Right? Since the death of George Floyd, there have been peaceful protests, which are thankful to God for those, but there's been a lot of uh, unpeaceful, looting, rioting, stealing, thievery. There's been the burning of a police station. Many police vehicles have been burned or damaged. Civilians have been pelting police with rocks. Some have taken over six blocks in the Seattle area, not allowing the police in. Some officers have been shot and killed. Uh, there's been destruction of property. Violence has gone on through the land. Now this is how the world reacts to an injustice, and I believe it was truly an injustice with George Floyd's death, but that's how the world has reacted. Not all the world, but some. But what we need to ask ourselves is, how should Christians respond? We're Christians. We don't go by the standards of the world. We don't take our cues from the rest of the world. We take our cues from God's Word. And Romans 13:1 tells us how we are to respond. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now that's Paul's thesis for the first seven verses of Romans 13. He's going to go on now and he's going to unpack that sentence. And he's going to flesh it out and tell us how we do that and why we do that. 
And at the end of this message, I'm also going to try to help us see when we should not do that. There is actually a time and a place not to obey Romans 13.1. We'll get to that at the end. So what I'd like to do is take a look at three questions today. The first one is why should we submit to government? Secondly, how should we submit to government? And third, when should we refuse to submit to government? So those are the three questions. And remember that Paul has already dealt with the doctrinal section in the first 11 chapters, but through chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, he's telling us how to live out the gospel. And he's already told us how to live out the gospel in relationship to God in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. And then he told us how to live out the gospel in relationship to the church in Romans 12, 3 to 16. Then he told us how to live out the gospel in relationship to our enemies in chapter 12, 17 to 21. But now he tells us how to live out the gospel in relationship to government authority. That's what this section's about. So let's take those three questions, one at a time. Why should we submit to government? Paul gives us answers here about why we should do that. He tells us in verse 1, for, which means because, this is why you should be in subjection to governing authorities, because there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now that's making a pretty bold claim. That's claiming that the governing authorities in the world system today are put there by God. God has established them. In Daniel 2.21, it says, It is He, God, who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. So God is the one that removes kings, and God establishes kings, according to this text. Or Psalm 75.6, For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. So God puts down one man, but he exalts another man. Uh, it's not from the east or the west that this exaltation to power comes. God is the one who puts down one, raises another. Or Jeremiah 27, 6. You can just make notice of this if you want. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. But it says, Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. Now let's remember who Nebuchadnezzar was. He was the one that sent his armies, the armies of Babylon, in to destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and massacre, wipe out and kill thousands upon thousands of Jewish people. And the Jews were God's chosen covenant people. But here, God calls him my servant. And that's the very word that Paul uses here in Romans 13. He calls these rulers um, ministers of God. The word minister means servant, the servant of God. So here we have a wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar. He wasn't a godly man. He was a wicked king. God calls him his servant. God established him in power. He couldn't have reigned otherwise, other than by God's sovereign permission or sovereign ordination. And then we have... Pilate. Remember when Jesus was brought before Pilate and there was this questioning back and forth? And in John 19, 11, Jesus told Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. So was Pilate a godly man? Not at all. Not at all. He was a wishy-washy man. He was just trying to make sure there was peace. He would do anything he needed to to try to stop the, quell the, the festering 
quelling there in, in Judea. And so basically what Pilate did is he executed the only perfect man who ever lived. So he was not really concerned in justice as much as he was just concerned about his own uh, status, his own power, remaining in power. So here we have these examples where God raises up a king, God takes a king out. Even wicked king, God says, they're my servant. I've ordained them. I've established them. No king or no president, no earthly power can have that power except that God gives it from above. Think about who was the emperor when Paul wrote the book of Romans. Caesar Nero had come to power three years earlier. He was only 16 years old when he started to reign as emperor. He was 19 years old when Paul writes the book of Romans. Nero is going to go on to be one of the most cruel, vicious, wicked, and corrupt emperors that has ever been. Um, just to share a little bit about his character with you, he, uh, he, would, he enjoyed sowing or putting Christians and then sowing these, these wild animal hides around them and then setting loose wild dogs on them just to bite them and devour them. Or he also enjoyed lighting them up as human torches in his garden and he would race around the garden in his chariot laughing like he was a crazy maniac. So we don't have this, we don't have this pristine model here in Nero at all. He was a wicked, cruel, vicious, barbaric, perhaps crazy, perhaps demon-possessed, not sure. But he wasn't a godly man. We also have another text I want you to read. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. And you're going to see how interesting the parallels are between Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2. In almost every case, Peter and Paul parallel one another and they're in complete agreement with each other. Now, when, when Peter wrote 1 Peter, Nero was also in power. You have to remember that. So when he talks about the king as the one in authority, that's who he's talking about. And let's read what he says. 1 Peter 2.13 Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human inst institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor the king? Honor Caesar Nero? Evidently, yes. He says, submit to every human institution, whether it's a king or a governor. Paul says, be in subjection to the governing authorities. They're saying the exact same thing. The word of God complements each other, doesn't contradict each other. So God has established governing authorities. No government can exist without God's sovereign permission. How many different governing authorities has God established? Well, let's read what it says. There is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. That tells me that all governing authorities are established by God. That includes democratic governments, republican governments, parliamentary governments like they have in England. That would include dictatorships, communistic governments. Whether you agree with the ideology behind the government or not, this text seems to 
indicate that God has established governing authorities in the world. I think that's why he says here in verse uh, 5, Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. In other words, if God has established governing authorities, that if you oppose and resist that governing authority, you're opposing the ordinance of God. And if you want to have a clear conscience before God, you have to be willing to subject yourself to governing authorities. Do you see the, the relationship there? Even if we were to live in North Korea or China, we would have to go to Romans 13 and we would have to obey this text. It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? Thank God we don't live in those places. Thank God we live in America where there's some freedoms that we can enjoy. Um, but that's what he means by conscience sake. If you want a clear conscience, you have to be in subjection to governing authorities. So that's the first reason Paul gives for why we should obey government. Because God has established it. The second reason is because it's for our good. Look at verse 4. Paul says, for it, referring to governing authority, for it is a minister of God, a servant of God to you for good. Can you imagine what life would be like without any government in the world? Complete anarchy. Everybody rules themselves. What's going to happen when there is no one who is exercising authority over a people? There's a, a complete void of power, right? And another power is going to rush in to fill that void. And almost always it's going to be a wicked power that fills that void. It could be the mafia. It could be thugs. It could be criminals. It could be people that just want to take your money. Let's face it. We live in a fallen world and we're all sinful. And so that's what's going to happen if there is no authority. If there is no government, you're going to have anarchy and you're going to have chaos. So thank God for governing authority in our world. That it, thank God that it restrains as much evil as it does. Think about how much more evil there would be without the restraint the government puts in place. So that's the second reason, because it's for our good. Third reason is because it has authority to punish us. So if you don't want to be in subjection to government because God has established it, and because it's for your good, at least be in subjection because if you don't, you're going to be punished. <laughs> That's what he says here. Look, look at the text. Look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. I don't believe that's talking about God condemning you at the judgment. I think it's being condemned by government. You're brought before magistrates, you're brought before judges, and you receive a sentence of condemnation because you are resisting the law. You're breaking the law and you're not keeping it. He says in verse 3, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Rulers are a cause of fear, he says, for evil behavior. That's verse 3. Romans 13.3. Romans 13.3. Okay. He says, Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. So, there is a, a fear of authority, because they can punish. He says in verse 4, It is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath 
on the one who practices evil. And again, I think this is human wrath here, not the wrath of God in the final judgment, but the wrath of government exercised against evildoers and lawbreakers and criminals. Notice he says, it does not bear the sword for nothing. Do you remember how James was executed in the book of Acts chapter 12? He was executed by the sword. So the sword was one of the means that the state had to actually execute uh, the death penalty. Which is one of the reasons why I do believe that the death penalty is something that, or capital punishment, is given as one of the options that government can use to curb evil in a society. The government does not bear the sword for nothing. It's a servant of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath. So over and over and over, Paul is telling us, you should fear because you can be condemned. You can face the wrath of the state. They have the power of the sword. And so do good and not evil because you may, you may face the wrath, the condemnation, the sword of the state. You may be punished for your wrongdoing. So those are the three reasons in this text. God has established government. God has established it for our good, and it has the authority to punish us. Okay? So those are the three biblical reasons for why we should be in subjection to government. Let's go to the second question. How do we submit to government? The first one I'm going to list here is not really spelled out explicit, but I think it's implicit in the text. And it's simply, you, you put yourself in subjection to governing authority by obeying the laws of the land. As I said, that's not really mentioned, but how else are you going to be in subjection? <laughs> Government are the ones that establish laws and enforce laws. So if they're establishing laws and enforcing laws and you are resisting that law and breaking that law, you're not in subjection to governing authorities. So whatever the laws of the land happen to be, and they'll be different for different countries, but in our country, there are certain laws, and we need to obey them if we're going to be pleasing to God. That's why we seek to obey the speed limit, or we ought to obey the speed limit. <laughs> Actually, when you are obeying the speed limit, you're worshiping God. Put those two things together, because they should be put together. God, it's, it's pleasing to God, it's the will of God that you obey His laws, so when you obey them, you are worshiping and pleasing and obeying God. So there's other laws too, aren't there? There's the laws against stealing, murdering, and littering, and you can go, I mean, we've got thousands upon thousands of laws, but whatever those laws happen to be, as Christians, we should be earnest in seeking to obey them. That's the first one. Another way that we submit to government is by paying taxes. And he tells us that in verse 6. For because of this you also pay taxes. And then he says in verse 7, Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom. Custom is simply duties on uh, different items that are brought in from another country. So you have to pay like a tax to get them from another country. Basically he's talking about taxes. Now this is one that no one likes. Does it, who, who just loves to pay your taxes? Especially when it comes to like 50% of everything you make. It just goes to the government. So I get that. And I feel the same way. It hurts to pay these high taxes. In fact, that's how our government got started, didn't it? 
No, no taxation without representation. And that kind of kicked off the Revolutionary War to start with. People were just really mad about that. But think about it. There are certain benefits that we enjoy that we kind of take for granted and we don't realize that if we didn't pay taxes, we wouldn't have these benefits. So let me just list a few of them for you. Um, public schools. So if you went to a public school growing up, I did, that was paid for by people who paid taxes. Uh, the U.S. Postal Service. If you ever received mail or sent mail, you couldn't have done it without a postal service. Yeah, we do pay for our, the stamps, but in addition to that, we needed to pay for the, the workers. Um, our roads, our road system, being able to drive your car from one place to another. We can go all over the country on nice highways. That's because of tax money. The social services and the relief agencies that we have in place to help people, those are paid for by taxes. Um, public libraries, if you've ever gone to a public library and used books that were there. Our parks, the national parks and city parks and state parks, those are all tax funded. And then on top of that, our army, our navy, our air force, our coast guard, our police, and our firefighters are all paid for by tax money. So they provide security and protection to the citizens of the United States, or they should. In most, most cases they do. Now, of course, when I mentioned police, probably every, the hair on the back of everyone's neck stood up because we are so sensitive about police brutality and corruption right now. And I think it's come to light that almost everyone agrees, yes, there is some of that. And we need to reform. We need to bring reforms into place. So there is wrong. No one's denying that. But still, we can thank God that we do have police that, by and large, I think, are out there seeking to actually enforce law and protect people. So, it's the will of God for us to pay our taxes. It's God's will. And when you or I cheat on our income taxes, we're sinning against God. If you've ever done that, you need to repent. Because that's not God's will for the believer. His will is for you to pay your taxes. Um, and we'll get to one more in just a minute. And you say, well, I don't have to pay taxes because the whole tax structure is corrupt. I don't agree with what they're using those taxes for. They're using them to fund abortions and things I don't agree with, so I'm just not going to pay my taxes. Well, I want you to think about the, basically the tax structure in Jesus' day. They didn't call it taxes. They called it tithes. They, every Israelite was obligated to pay 10%. Actually, it turned out to be like 23 and a third percent because there were three different tithes. So they had a, their old tax structure, and that went to supporting the priesthood for Israel because they were a theocratic nation. They were governed by God through the priests. But think about the priesthood. Was that a noble, godly group of men? In Jesus' day, he denounced them. They were the ones that are opposing Jesus Christ and trying to kill him. He denounced them as hypocrites in Matthew chapter 23. But yet he says in Matthew 23 that they ought to be paying their tithes. Even though the priesthood was corrupt. So, let's say we've got a bunch of corrupt politicians, and probably we do. <laughs> At least to one extent or another. And they are enacting some laws that as Christians we can't agree with. Does that mean that we get to say, well, I'm not paying taxes to the government? It doesn't mean that. 
we're still under obligation to pay taxes. So that's the second reason. How do we submit to government? By obeying the laws of the land, by paying taxes, and the third one is by respecting and honoring our rulers. Look at uh, verse 7. He says, give fear to whom fear is due, give honor to whom honor is due. And Peter says, honor the king. So we are to honor government authorities. Now this gets very difficult, especially when you can't agree with the lifestyle of your governing authority. Like they're living a life of sin, and you know it, everyone knows it. Well, Paul doesn't really give us an out. He doesn't say, honor them as long as they fit your model of who they should be. No, we're to honor them. See, we might not be able to honor them in their personal lifestyle. But we can, yes, we can honor the office that God has established. Because he has established those offices in our, in our world. So you may or may not like the president. But I think it is wrong to call the president names. Um, and no matter who the president is, whether it's Obama or whether it's President Trump, or you can go back as far as you want. Um, I cringe when I hear Christians engaging in this kind of thing because it violates the word of God. It's not, it's not right. Fear to whom fear is due. And when it comes to police, you know, we call them cops and pigs and we think of <laughs> slang names. That, that really is not the will of God either. I mean, we, that's not honoring a governing authority that God has placed in our country. In fact, I, I, when I was thinking about this, I thought of Acts chapter 23. And you might remember this. There was a situation where Paul was brought before the council. And the high priest, Paul says, I've lived with a perfectly clear conscience every day up until now. And the high priest ordered the guy next to him to slap his face. And when they did, Paul looked at that guy and said, God... Smite you, you whitewashed wall. And someone says, do you dare revile the high priest? And I think, I think Paul had bad eyesight from everything we can tell from the scripture. And maybe he didn't know who had just given the order to have him smitten. And he says, oh, I didn't know it was a ruler because the Bible says in Leviticus something, I forget the text. And th there's a verse in Leviticus that says, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So that's actually in the word of God. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now I know some, some of the things that are going around in your head. Okay, what do you do about Hitler? What do you do about just monsters? I don't have all the answers. All I can do is point to clear statements of scripture. And the clear statements that I can read tell me to honor the king, to honor, give honor to whom honor is due, so we're going to have to, we're going to have to figure out what we do with just blatantly vicious and wicked men. Which leads us into the third question. When should we refuse to submit to government? Now I say when should we? Because in the scriptures there were times when God's people did refuse to submit to governing leaders and we seem to see God's approval upon what they did. Let me give you some examples of that. Well, before I do that, let me just answer the question. When should we refuse to submit to government? Not when we feel government is corrupt. Paul doesn't say, be in subjection as long as the governing authorities are not corrupt. Because 
We live in a fallen world and every government is going to have a level of corruption in it. Some will be more corrupt than others, but all will have some level of corruption. It said uh, that the first 14 of the 16 emperors of Rome were homosexuals. Nero himself had his own mother murdered. I mean, can you get more evil than that? They believe that he was the one that set Rome on fire because he wanted to rebuild it and he needed a scapegoat. He needed someone to blame for the fire that was started and so he said the Christians set it on fire and that gave him now the license to start persecuting Christians and that's why he had them crucified in his gardens and lit on fire as torches and sewn up in the skins of animals and doing just barbaric, horrific things to believers. So Rome was not a bastion of godliness. Rome was corrupt, just like all human governments suffer from corruption. But that doesn't change the word of God. So it's not when we feel government is corrupt, and it's not even when we feel our personal rights are being violated. Paul doesn't say be in subjection as long as you're in agreement with what government is doing. Be in subjection as long as they don't violate any of your personal rights. Well, as Christians, we kind of have given up our rights because we've become servants of God, right? I would say this. When should we refuse to submit to government? Only when government is requiring you to disobey God. When government requires you to sin against God, you have to refuse to submit to government. Why? Because God is a greater authority in your life than government is. It's like, you, you're here... Government is authority over you, but God is an authority over the government. And when this link here requires you to disobey the link above, you have to get rid of that link and go straight to God and say, I'm going to obey God rather than man. And we can, we can do this in one of two ways. Sometimes government requires us to do something that God has forbidden. We have examples of that in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar had this golden image set up and he was requiring every person within his kingdom to bow down at that golden image. Basically, he was commanding idol worship. And you had three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love those guys. Just men of courage and conviction. And they were commanded to bow down before that image on pain of death. They were going to be thrown into a fiery furnace, burned alive. And they refused to bow down to that image. And God, you see God's approval on them because when they were thrown into that fire, the people throwing them into the fire burned up and they, they just had the, the ropes that were binding them burnt off and they were walking around just happy as larks in that furnace of fire. And there was one other person there with them. He looked like a son of God. I believe he probably was Jesus Christ in their midst, keeping them from harm. So God approved of this civil disobedience because government was requiring them to do something God had forbidden. And they had to obey God over man at that point. You guys see that? You can also go back to Exodus chapter 1. You have the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, requiring that the Hebrew midwives, if any of the women had baby boys, they were to throw them into the Nile River and kill them. If there are girls, keep them alive. If they're boys, kill them. And the Hebrew midwives refused to obey that edict from the king, and God blessed them, and God gave them households, it says. God approved of that, because the, the king was re requiring them to do something that God had forbidden. God had said, thou shalt not murder. 
So who are they going to obey? God who says thou shalt not murder or the king who says murder? Well they have to obey God. Uh, let me read this story to you. This comes from one of uh, Dr. James Dobson's broadcasts on Focus on the Family years ago. And he says, there was a Christian high school student who was in a class entitled Sex Education. The self-styled progressive teacher of the class brought a pornographic videotape to show the class as part of the curriculum. So what was the Christian student to do? Because he wanted to be true to his Christian principles, he raised his hand. Gently but persistently, he voiced his conscientious objection to the showing of the pornographic film. He wasn't rude, contentious, abrasive, or insulting to the teacher. Rather, he was gentle and respectful because he was seeking to project the gentleness and humility of Christ. The teacher persisted in showing the film, and so the student then persisted in his objections. I would like to be excused from this class, he said, because my Christian conscience does not permit me to view this film. The teacher again refused and proceeded with the showing of the videotape. The student objected again. By now, of course, the teacher was highly annoyed, if not downright livid with the young man. He said, all right, if you want out of this class, then go to the principal's office, but understand that if you walk out that door, you get an automatic F in this class. The student replied, thank you for excusing me from the class. I'll go to the principal's office and I'll accept whatever greater discipline you decide to give me. But I continue to insist that you are doing what is wrong and I can't be a part of it. Can't, it's kind of hard to believe, but that is a story that actually did take place in one of our high schools in America. What's the outcome? The outcome was that he went to, he got an F, went to the principal's class. He took the grade. Yeah. Yeah, he, I, I guess he gave that wow. a level of permission to the, his teachers under him. Yeah, pray, yeah, you're right. So there is an example of a teacher requiring the student to do something that he couldn't do without sinning against God. So you need to ask yourself is government requiring me to sin? I think that's the bottom line here when it comes to disobedience. Do I have to sin to do what government's telling me to do? Okay, now let's flip it over. Sometimes government prohibits people from doing what God has commanded them to do. For example, Daniel chapter 6. There, Darius was the king and he enacted a law that nobody could make a petition to anyone except for him. <laughs> for 30 days. Basically means you can't pray. You can't make a petition to God. You have to make your petition directly to me. So what does Daniel do? He goes in and he prays three times a day just like always and even opens the windows so people can see that he's praying three times a day. He's, he's not afraid of it. He's not um, he's just very very open about his faith. And so they take him and they throw him into a lion's den. And God protects him again, showing that God approved of Daniel's position, protecting him. And we see something in the New Testament as well. In Acts chapter 4, we find the apostles brought before the council, and the council tells them never to preach or teach again in this man's name. Remember that? Let's see what happens. Let's see how they respond. It's Acts 4. 18. When they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then, 
In chapter 5 of Acts, verse 27, again, it says, When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. So they commanded them not to teach and preach in Jesus' name, but Jesus had commanded them to preach and teach in his name. They've, they're in a dilemma now. Government says one thing, Jesus Christ says the exact opposite. What are they going to do? In that case, they have to obey Jesus rather than government. You know, we are blessed to live in a country where you can have peaceful protests. Think about it, that's a blessing. If you lived in North Korea, you try to peacefully protest. You're going to jail. And maybe to prison for a long, long time. Maybe you're going to be executed. There, there is no protesting. There is no freedom of speech. The freedoms that we just take for granted are not freedoms that everybody in this world enjoys. So, yes, there is corruption. There is police brutality. That is a thing that is real. There is corruption within the police force. Thank God that it's come to light recently and that there's so much media attention on it because I think things are going to start to change. There are positive changes that seem to have already started happening around the country. Thank God for that. But we're still called upon to obey government unless they require us to sin against God. So let's, let's wrap this up and let's try to make some practical application to our lives in 2020. So if the government forbade us from evangelizing, we'd have to resist that command of the government because Jesus has already commanded us to evangelize. In some countries of the world, you're forbidden to evangelize. Well, the Christians there have to obey Jesus rather than men, and they have to accept the consequences. They may lose their life for it, but they're going to obey Christ rather than obey government. If the government forbade us from praying or from meeting together, it said you, you can no longer meet together as Christians, we would have to disobey government. Those are commands in Scripture. If government forbade us to teach what the Bible says about any subject, and it may come down to that here in the United States, where government somehow will try to step in and say you cannot teach against same-sex marriage or against homosexuality because the tide is turning so far in favor of that. We would have to take, our, take the consequences but say, God, if I'm going to be faithful to God, I have to teach what He has said. I, don't, I can't make up what I teach you. I teach you what God has said. And this is what God says about those issues. I'm not free to just tell you whatever the government wants me to tell you. I'm, I'm under orders from Jesus Christ to tell you what he has said. So we would have to disobey in those cases. If the government required churches to hire people to be on staff who are living in sin or make those people members who are not converted or people who are living in sin, we would have to disobey what government says at that point. If the government required us to abort our children to maintain population control, we would have to disobey that order because that would be murder. We take our marching orders from Jesus Christ, not the state. Whenever there's a, a, 
a disagreement between the two that is so strong that we have to take our, our choice one way or the other. It's always with Christ. But unless we come to that point, we are in subjection to governing authorities. We're bound to obey the law. We're bound to pay our taxes. We're bound to show respect, regardless of whether we agree or disagree, or whether we like or dislike the decisions they're making. Frankly, I don't like the decision that our governor has made that we have to wear masks, and I don't even agree with it. But it doesn't matter. Um, that, that's not, the government isn't requiring me to sin. And so I have to put myself under their authority and, and do what they tell me to do. So that's the bottom line. Let's pray. Father, it's, this is one of those challenging passages of Scripture that it's not a feel-good passage. It's not one that we gravitate towards. I don't know anybody who, who underlines all these verses or sticks them on their wall and memorizes them. It's kind of one that we just pass over and sometimes even avoid, but it's part of your word. It's true. It's, it comes from God. It comes from you, Lord. And so we must give attention and we must seek to obey the clear teaching of your word. So we, we pray that you would give us grace to do that. Sometimes it is so difficult, Lord, to do and we pray that you would help us. Lord, make us examples to our neighborhoods and to other people around us, people that we work with, of law-abiding citizens. I pray that all of us here would have a reputation for submission to government. And at the same time, Lord, we do pray that you would overcome corruption in government, a corruption within the police force around the world. We pray, Lord, for a better world to live in, but make us salt and light until that happens. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.